All right, let's open up the Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1, please. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we will be turning to a few verses of Scripture today. I'd like to preach to you a sermon entitled, The Program of the Spirit. Program of the Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 20 is where we'll begin reading. 2 Peter 1, verse 20. And the Apostle Peter writes here, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. So what does that mean? You cannot look at a verse and say, it says this, but it means something different. It means what it says. It says what it means. Verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The reason man cannot put his own spin or interpretation on the Bible is because these words that we have in the Bible are not merely the words of men, but they were given to us through the Holy Spirit, and thus he and he alone is able to interpret the Bible and tell us what these things mean, and he has told us in the Scripture that he means what he says. The Bible says in Christ, all the promises of God are yea and amen. You know what that means? Amen means that's right. When you read it, you say, that's right. That's what he meant. So today, we're going to talk about the program of the Spirit. And I'll explain that as we go. Let's bow our heads first and let's pray together. And then we'll get into this. Father, thank you this morning. What a blessing to get to sing these songs. Luafom praisum, hallelujah. Father, we do. We, we praise you. We lift you up this morning. We thank you for, the, for your promise of sending the Holy Spirit. The Comforter has come. Oh, what a blessing today to be able to hear His voice. Help us, God, not to harden our hearts this morning. We want to fall in line with Your program. Speak to us today. Give us ears to hear that we may hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to some fancy organized event, but many times at such an event, when you walk in the door, they will give you a program that tells you what to expect for, for the entire night. All the events, all the special speakers. Uh, some of you that are just starting school, we might have a few first-year students with us. Uh, you second- and third-year students, this isn't far from your memory. You remember that first day of school? What a blessing it was to have a time of orientation for somebody to sit there and tell you this is what's going to happen and then hand you a piece of paper and tell you where your classrooms are, what you need to bring, when various things are going to happen. The program helps tremendously. Just imagine for a moment you students showing up. Isn't school starting tomorrow morning at university? Imagine showing up tomorrow morning as a first-year student and no one's there to help you. No paperwork, no program. You just show up. And they say, fend for yourself, hope you figure it out. How long do you think it would take for you to figure it out? Man, by next December, <laughs> you might get to a classroom. <laughs> that campus can be daunting, it can be big, it can be challenging even with the program. It can be confusing at times. Imagine having no orientation, no program to give you any 
direction, you'd have no idea what to expect. Now, for those of you that are too old to remember what it was like in school, let me talk about your job. (laughs) Imagine taking a new job. And for some of you, this has happened, right? You show up at the job and they say, okay, do your best. (laughs) But what do you want me to do? Ah, just watch and learn. Watch what? Learn what? Ah, just, you know, you'll see. You'll, you'll catch on. No, I won't. You're overestimating me. I'm not that smart. <laughs> One of my first promotions that I ever received was from a regular employee to that of a crew trainer. And I learned the, the, the importance of, of taking on a new employee, taking him under your wings and saying, listen, uh, whenever we ask for this, this is what we mean. Here's the lingo. Uh, this timer, this buzzer means that. And, and I had to show those people the ropes. I had to give them the instruction manual and walk them through that. It's good to have a program and also good to have a guide to help you understand the program. But to expect someone to walk into a school or a, a business of any sort and figure it out for themselves, well, that's just not right. That's just downright mean. Why should we expect anything different in the church? A lot of folks show up to church and they've been hearing phrases like, you need to be a Christian, you need to walk with God, you need to be filled with the Spirit. And if you do not have a program to tell you what these things mean, if you don't have other people around you to help guide you through those things, it can be very daunting, confusing, frustrating. But I want to say thank God we have a program. You hold it in your laps. You have an infallible, inerrant, perfect program that tells you what to expect, that tells you which events will unfold as you go through your Christian life. It explains what it means to be filled with the Spirit, what it means when we say walk in the Spirit. All of these definitions and terms, the events, the things that happen in a Christian life, they're all there in the program that the Holy Spirit has given us. Now, do you see from verse 21 why I say this is the program of the Spirit? Because the words we have in Scripture are not the words of a man. Yes, a man held the pen and wrote the words on the paper, but those words were not coming from his mind, but rather he was led by the Spirit of God as he wrote. In some cases, the Spirit actually dictated to that person, write this down, and he wrote And then there's other times where the Holy Spirit would say, Apostle, prophet, sit down and write. And then the Spirit of God would supervise the writing. Maybe not dictating, but watching over what that man wrote and eventually affirming that everything was true by breathing into those words and thus bringing them to life. That's what we call inspiration. So we have the program of the Holy Spirit. Now imagine this. You have the program for your first day of school and you're on your way to history class, what are you expecting to find? You're expecting to find an older prof. (laughs) Very, very interesting speaker. (laughs) And he's going to give you nice long lectures about Napoleon and the Ptolemies and the Seleucid Empire. (laughs) That's a history class. Now imagine you walk in, you have your program, 
Okay, we're going to study the Ptolemies, the Seleucids, we're going to look at the Romans, and, and, and you have the whole thing, and you sit down, and the prof says, okay, now for this class, be sure every week to bring your calculator. Uh, my, my calculator. For, for um, calculator? This is a history class. Yeah, my right time, right, right building. And then he says, and, and don't forget to bring your compass and the, all the other drawing tools that you need. Don't forget to bring pencils and pens and graphs and rulers. And You're going to start to panic, right? In about five seconds, your heart's going to... I think, I think I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> I don't know about you. I used to have nightmares about the first day of school, right? About doing something like that, going to the wrong room. Because how do you sneak out? How, every student should have an exit plan. That is why a lot of visitors, when they first come to the church, they sit in the back. <laughs> I get it. I get it because you need a quick exit just in case. Ooh, wasn't expecting all this. You know what happens? I think a lot of people, they, they have access to a Bible. They, they've done a little bit of homework. They've, they've read up. Then they come to a church, and all of a sudden, the things that are being said and done in the church don't match the program. And all of a sudden, confusion frustration oh dear where am I what's going on this isn't what I, I don't remember reading this in the book in the book of Acts I don't remember this in Romans or Galatians what what is happening here all of a sudden some strange events start taking place and and people say oh it's the work of the Holy Spirit and you go oh boy wow where is that page number what chapter and verse for that he just he just lost control of his emotions. Is that in the Bible? He just, she just had an ecstatic experience and blamed it on God. What, is that in the Bible? And people compare their experience in a church with, with the program, and if it doesn't match, it causes confusion. You folks have read this verse in the Bible, right? God is not the author of confusion. You understand this morning, I, I don't say any of that to speak against uh, a certain church's intentions, right? I believe a lot of people that participate in such things, they mean well, but if it doesn't match the program that the Holy Spirit has laid out for us, somebody's going to get confused. Somebody's going to end, uh, end up veering off the path, and that's not what we want. So let's take a look at what it should be expected biblically from having a life in the Spirit. Let's come to Galatians chapter 3 to begin with, please. Galatians chapter 3. Something that I have been accused of several times because I do not believe in the exaggerated and ecstatic experiences that a lot of people say are the works of the Holy Spirit. I do not believe that somebody speaking in a... Now, I, I just have to use the term that, that applies. I do not believe that a gibberish tongue comes from the Lord. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? Somebody that is speaking in a language that is completely unknown to mankind. I do not believe that comes from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 says that all languages, they, 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 are with, they have signification. You would be able to recognize that like somebody would. So the idea of this, uh, the hiomosotal, this heavenly language or this angelic language, I, I'm sorry, but I just don't see that 
happening in the Bible. I don't see in the Bible anywhere where somebody is filled or overcome with the Spirit and thereby slain, falling over and losing control of themselves. I don't see that happening in, in the Bible. So the accusation is, if you don't believe in those things and you don't think they're of God, then you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh, friend, I'm here to tell you this morning that's not true. I believe very deeply and very strongly in the Holy Spirit. But I also believe very deeply and strongly in the program that the Spirit has given us. I believe that He has told us what to expect from walking with Him. And I want to stay as close to that as possible. In Galatians chapter 3, the first thing I want to talk about is the promise. The promise of the Spirit. Galatians 3.14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the first thing you need to see here is the promise of the Spirit and, and how somebody can receive the Holy Spirit. There's lots of different ideas and teachings that float around about how somebody can receive the Holy Spirit. Paul is making this point very clear. You can go back to verse number 8. In verse 8 he says, The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Can I bring your attention to the last part of that verse? God told Abraham a long time ago, almost 3,000 years before this was written, he told Abraham, I'm going to use you to bless all the nations. Now what, what follows after this, Paul explains to the people, that Christ coming into the world as a child of Abraham, that is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless all the world with one of Abraham's children, that is Christ, and through Christ, every person in the world, not just Jews, even Gentiles, can receive of this blessing. Now, as long as Jesus is physically on the earth, he can't be everywhere at the same time, right? So the promise is, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and through Him, every single person on the planet has access to God. So the coming of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of the promise originally given to Abraham. Now the big question is, how do I access that? How do I receive the Holy Spirit? At the end of verse 14, he tells you that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, let me point out what it doesn't say. You don't receive him through baptism. You don't receive him by adopting some other religious ritual. That's what the Galatians were doing. They had believed on Christ, but then they were going back under the Jewish law and saying, if we want to be part of the covenant, if we want to be one of the people of God, we have to be circumcised, we have to keep the law of Moses, we have to become Jewish, we have to take on Hebrew roots. That's what was being said. And Paul says, no, guys, if you want to have access to God, you get that through His Spirit. And the only way to receive the Holy Spirit is through faith in Christ. Can I walk you through this quickly? Just take a moment. Look at verse 10. I want you to understand what Paul's point is here. Verse 10, he says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. What's he mean? If you are trying to save yourself by doing the best you can to keep the law, you're not under the blessing of God, you're under the curse. 
you don't have access to that blessing that he gave to, that he promised to Abraham. You're you're under a curse. You're going to be punished because you've broken his law. He says in the next part, for it is written, cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So he quotes the Old Testament and says if you don't keep the whole law, you're under a curse. I don't know. I've never met the I've met some people that said they keep all the law. But about 30 seconds later, they admit that they lied. (laughs) And now they've broken a law. (laughs) Verse 11, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. He's quoting Habakkuk. And then verse 12, And the law is not of faith. They're, They're different. But the man that doeth them shall live by them. So now he goes back and quotes from the law and and he says, you see in the law, the deal was if a man wants to live, he has to do the laws. The question is, do you keep the laws? And the answer is no. So verse number 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy 21, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So according to Deuteronomy, It says there that anyone hanging on a tree, he's been cursed of God. Paul says, well, Jesus hung on a tree. That means he also was accursed. But Jesus never did anything wrong. So why would he take on a punishment from God? Why would he have this curse? The obvious answer is he was redeeming us. He stood in our place. He took our punishment for us. So the only way to receive this blessing from God, to have the Holy Spirit come into you, is to put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. You trust that the payment he made is sufficient to pay for your sins. Now, through that faith, the Holy Spirit comes in. And he comes in immediately. You don't need a second work and a third work and a fourth work. You receive all of the Holy Spirit that you can receive the very moment you trust Christ as your Savior. You don't need baptism to do that. You don't need circumcision. You don't need claim to it. In order to be part of God's covenant or to be one of His people, you need Christ and Christ alone. That's where the program of the Spirit begins. It begins with understanding this promise. Now, once you've received Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit has come in. What's the second thing? Now you need some proof. You need proof of the Spirit. So as you look at your program, you say, number one, promise. Number two, proof. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? It's a great question. Come to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's get Romans chapter 8, verse number 16. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. There has been great confusion for several years now about the evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Let's try to set the record straight. Romans 8, verse 16. It says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There's an internal witness where the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you as one of His own. It wasn't there before. It wasn't there before you met Christ, but now you have this Holy Spirit living inside of you 
and he talks to you and he walks with you and he guides you. And I'm gonna say a little bit more about that in a moment, but let me clear up a little confusion that comes with this. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost is speaking in tongues. That's, that's how it's normally phrased. The initial evidence of the Holy Ghost is speaking in tongues. This came about, about a, hundred, a little more than 100 years ago. There was a school opened by a man named Charles Parham. He tasked his students with this job. He went away. He went away for a couple weeks and he told his Bible school students, find the evidence of the Holy Ghost in a person's life in the Bible. When he got back, the students gave him the answer and said, it's Acts chapter 2 and the evidence is speaking in tongues. So from that springs the teaching, once you receive the Holy Spirit, you must speak in tongues in order to prove you have the Holy Spirit. Now this, that idea has grown, evolved, and developed over the years so that the, the Holy Spirit can be manifested in all sorts of extraordinary ways. Maybe you get slain, you lose control, you flop around, you un- uncontrollable laughter. They've come up with lots of different ideas. But the, eye, the, the heart, the root of it is, if you have the Holy Spirit, something extraordinary, ultra-miraculous, and immediate is going to happen to you. Now, let me make clear. In the book of Acts, you do see that the apostles spoke with other tongues. Do everybody know that? Acts chapter 2, they spoke in other tongues. They did. We don't deny that. We know that. It happened in Acts 2. It happened in Acts 10. It happened again in Acts chapter 19. I am fully aware that the Holy Spirit is able to use someone to perform a miracle and thereby prove his presence. I have no problems with that. But you also have to recognize that those occurrences are extraordinary, not the ordinary. They are not something that the Holy Spirit does with every single person who gets saved. The Holy Spirit manifested himself in special ways so that he could confirm a new message that was being communicated by one of the apostles. Now please feel free to check that out in Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19. You look through the book of Acts. I believe even now, God could still allow a miracle to happen. I I believe in miracles. I've seen them happen in my life and in my ministry. I believe God can still use a miracle to confirm to someone that what they heard is the truth. But I don't find anywhere in the program where he says every time the Holy Spirit comes into somebody, the same miracle is going to happen to them. That you don't find. So you find this in the book of Hebrews. It says in chapter 2 and verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken to us by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God bearing them witness with miracles, wonders, and gifts of the Holy Ghost. He, the writer there tells us that the reason those miracles were given through the apostles was to confirm their message. Once the message was confirmed, guess what we have now? The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1, we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have something better than miracles. We have it written down, recorded, and preserved in God's book. We have written evidence of how the Holy Spirit works. So did God use the miraculous? Yes. Did the Holy Spirit confirm the message? 
Absolutely, we don't deny that. But how should every individual expect the Holy Spirit to work in them? Romans 8.16 is a constant. It doesn't matter where you are in church history. It doesn't matter where you live, what your skin color is, what language you speak. This verse happens to everybody who receives the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. He will start to talk with you as if you're one of his family. This, folks, is more than proof. It's a privilege. What a privilege that he shows up and talks with you. What a privilege it is to hear from God and to have him put his finger on your heart and say, listen, I'm talking to you. This morning, I'm trying to get your attention. This morning, I'm trying to teach you something. You need to hear this. This is going to be helpful to you. To feel God put his finger on your heart is a privilege. To have him tell you where you're getting off track is a privilege because you know he's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help. And by the way, the Holy Spirit does not only rebuke his children. Oh, many times... One of his names is the comforter. He wraps his arms around you and he pulls you close and he knows you're hurting and he reminds you. He says, child of mine, I know you're going through something, but please don't forget how much I love you. Please don't forget that I know what you're going through and I'm going to get you through this and I'm not going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you and I know it hurts. Please keep your eyes on me. Don't look at the problem. Look at me. So how do you know he'd do that? Tribulation works experience and experience, patience and patience, hope. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Yes, he will tell his child when the child is getting off track, but he'll also tell that child, you're one of mine and even though you're struggling, I love you. I love you more than I can ever tell you. What a privilege we have. I, I remember several years ago when I started off in Malawi going to the immigration office. You guys would call it home affairs here. Oh, what a ma major undertaking that was. Number one, to find the building was a task. And once I finally found it after two weeks, I kid you not, drove around for two weeks till I found it. Finally found it. I walked inside and wow, there's the front counter. There's one employee, one government worker, and there's about 50 Malawians crammed up against the counter. It looked like a pile of ants. Now, I, I kid you not. They were literally climbing on each other's backs, putting their papers forward, saying, yeah, yeah, ine, 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 me, 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 me. And I, when I walked in, I thought, hey, how am I going to, there is no queue. How am I ever going to get to the counter? So I, I, I didn't know what to do. I'm not getting in the middle of that. <laughs> I'm a lot bigger than most Malawians. If I start climbing on backs, I'm going to squish the ants. <laughs> I'm not doing that. So I hang back, and I'm just standing in the back, and, and you know, Jesus said, watch and pray, so <laughs> I'll do that. So I stood there for a while, and I thought, man, what, what are we going to do? So standing, standing, and finally, one of the workers noticed that I was standing back there and and he said yeah yeah hey, hey, you and everybody at once the whole room whoo, came quiet and I thought oh a little bit awkward 
And they all turned around, eyes on me, said, yeah, you, God. I said, okay. I thought maybe I'm in trouble. Maybe I'm in the wrong room. I don't know. He says, yeah, yeah, come with me. So I, I, I walk over to the side. This man takes me by the hand, leads me through the mass of people to the boss's office in the back, and he says, yeah, you need to talk to him. I said, oh, thank you so much for this. <laughs> I had no idea because I, I didn't realize that I'm at the wrong counter. This is where Malawians get help. I didn't know that I had to go to the office in the back. I needed somebody to bear witness with me. I needed somebody to help me and guide me and lead me and say, you're in the wrong place. You need to step back here. How comforting is that? It's evidence that I've been accepted. They're not trying to get rid of me. If he didn't want me there, he'd say, hey, you, get out. <laughs> he didn't tell me that. He wanted me there. <laughs> he knew that I brought money, so he took me right to the back. <laughs> it was evidence that I had been accepted into Malawi. <laughs> you know what I found? A lot of people ask me this question, but... Brother Mike, we, we read here that the Holy Spirit will bear witness and that we can hear the voice of God, but how do you hear that? How do you hear that? You know what I've found? A lot of times a new Christian can't pick up. They, they don't know it when the Spirit's dealing with them. They're having this internal conversation. They, they know something's happening, but they don't know qu quite what it is. You know what God will do? He'll put the Holy Spirit in some other guy. He'll fill that man with the Holy Spirit and say, now you, go get that white guy standing in the lobby that doesn't know what he's doing and take him by the hand and lead him back to where he can get some help. Because bless his heart, he doesn't know how to hear my voice. I got to put my voice in another vessel so that he can hear it. You know, there's so many ways that God can speak to you. But one thing that every born-again believer will have, that proof of the Holy Spirit they will feel the Holy Spirit leading them, speaking to them, guiding them. Now that is an immediate, short-term proof. There's also a long-term version of this. There's a gradual evidence that will happen little by little in your life. Come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3. As you're finding that, can I maybe take you back a little bit. For some of you, you'll remember the days when you come to church and you could sit through the entire service and not hear one word. Now, for those of you that are still in that phase, you're not hearing what I'm saying now anyway, so it <laughs> doesn't matter. Huh? I'll talk to you next year. <laughs> remember those days when you'd go to church because you had to? Um, you remember those days when you used to go to church because your wife made you? I, I see the elbows coming out now. <laughs> remember those days? Some of you might remember the days when you'd open up a Bible and try to read it and go, what? This makes no sense. This is incredibly boring. You could sit through an entire church service. You might, sit th you might come to church for six months and not one word penetrated your heart. And then all of a sudden, one day, you met Christ as your Savior. And the next Sunday, you came to church, and 
the man got up to preach and all of a sudden the words that were coming from the Bible, from the pulpit, started to not only hit the heart but dig deep into the heart and you walked out and went, how did he know what I've been doing? How did he know? Pastor's been reading my email. He has hacked me. (laughs) That's the Holy Spirit bearing witness with you. That's the immediate proof. Something's different. Something is working inside of you that wasn't there before. Now, there's a long-term proof. Let me show this to you. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Here's the long-term evidence that the Holy Spirit lives within. He's changing you. You're not the same as you were a year ago. Look back five years ago. I'm not just talking about natural maturity where you grow up physically and learn a little bit more from life experience. I'm talking spiritually. You have become less like you and more like Christ. How does this happen? In this chapter, Paul is talking about how some people could read the Old Testament and not get anything out of it. They, they read it and all they read is a bunch of laws and rules and it's boring. Amen. You get to Leviticus and why, why am I reading about these offerings? You get to Exodus and who cares how they built the tabernacle? You get to Chronicles, time to take a nap. I don't care whose great, great, great grandpa he was. Who cares? And he says in the Old Testament, there are some that have a veil over their heart and as they read it, they don't get it. It's just a bunch of rules. Look at verse, you can see verse 14. Their minds were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament which veil is done away in Christ. He says in verse 15, but even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. So I just mentioned you can come to church, hear the Bible read, you can try it at home, open up the Bible and find no point in it, no purpose in it. It doesn't speak to you. Verse 16, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, that is your heart turns to Him, the veil shall be taken away. See, the Old Testament's covered up. The Bible just makes no sense. You turn to Christ and all of a sudden, that that book looks different. The program of the Holy Spirit means a whole lot more to you now. You've entered the correct classroom. He says in verse number 17, now, where the, uh, now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So what does he do? He, he takes this freedom. You're not bound by that Old Testament following a, a list of rules. We, we don't want to get stuck in a dead religion. Amen. Just coming to church, going through the motions. We don't want that. What do we have? But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass. This book acts as a mirror. And when you look at the book, the book is looking at you. And it tells you exactly how you are. Mirrors don't lie. I wish they did, but they don't. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the most depraved of them all? And it's, <laughs> That would be you. <laughs> 
We look in the glass. Now, we, because the veil has been taken away and the Holy Spirit lives inside, as you read these Old Testament stories, guess what you now see? It's no longer a burnt offering and a tabernacle. It's now, it's now the heavenly tabernacle where Christ has offered himself as an offering for sins. And now you start to see Jesus on every single page. You read through Chronicles, and I'm not saying all the names are exciting, but you see the point. So why do we need a record so that you know from Abraham there's a direct line all the way to Christ? We're not just making it up. There's a purpose to all of this. And as you read and as you hear the Bible explained, the Holy Spirit takes these words and says, now do you see Jesus? You see Jesus? You see Jesus? You go, yeah, I do. He says, now, look at you. Look at you. Look at you. Do you see the difference? Here's Jesus. Here's you. Now let's get a little less of you and a, more, a, lot of, a whole lot more of him and let's get you changed to be like him. That's not overnight. That's going to take a while. That's going to take you consistently exposing yourself to the program of the Spirit and letting him prick your heart deeper than the surface with enough time, you see the glory of the Lord. The Holy Spirit constantly points it out to you. You are going to be changed into the same image from glory. That is, from the best version of you to glory, to the best version of God, that is Jesus Christ. They, you know, they, they talk about, we want to make you the best you you can be. That's not that impressive. Every man in his best state is altogether vanity. We don't want the best you. We want you to become like Christ. That's the best you can do. And that is the long-term work of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that happening in your life? Let's look at the end of this. Well, let's come to 1 Corinthians 12. I don't want to skip this part. Let me show you this quickly. 1 Corinthians 12. This is part of the, the long-term or the gradual proof. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Say, but Brother Mike, you know, you've been talking about the Holy Spirit and we haven't mentioned much about the gifts. So in 1 Corinthians 12, this is all about the gifts of the Spirit. And in verse 8, 9, 10, 11, he's going to get into listing out those gifts. But watch verse 7 carefully. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. You see, not just... Not just... Uh, extraordinary situations in the book of Acts to do a special thing. Every man gets this. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Every single member in the body of Christ will experience the Holy Spirit working in them, teaching them, equipping them, giving them abilities, or another word for that is gifts. But why does he give you gifts? so that you can profit with all. That means you can use what he's given you to help someone else. So that, every, so that all, with all, with everyone, you can profit them. You can help them. That's the purpose of the gifts. So as you grow in the Lord, he's going to change you to become like Christ and prepare and equip you to minister to others. Say, I want evidence that the Holy Spirit lives within is he using you to help someone else get closer to Christ? Are you touching anyone's life for God? Or are you just passing through life, marching slowly to the grave, making no difference for the Lord? The work of the, now listen, the Holy Spirit can be inside of you 
and you can say no to what he's trying to do. You say, oh, no, no, Brother Mike, you can't say no to God. Yes, you can. And that's why Paul said, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can say, here's how I want to use you. And you can say, no, I'm not that interested. I'm not that kind of person. That's not my personality. I'd rather not. You can turn him down. Hebrews chapter four gives us, or chapter three rather, gives us a very interesting verse. It's talking about the Holy Ghost. You know what he said? Today, please listen to this. Today, if you hear his voice, Harden not your hearts. So why would he say that? Because the Holy Spirit might be trying to speak to you and there is the possibility that you harden your heart and you don't listen to what he says. The program of the Spirit, there's a promise. There's proof. In that proof is the privilege of him speaking to you. And there's the procedure of changing you and making you usable. And then that leads to the last thing, that is the final product. Let's come to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse number 16. Galatians 5 and verse number 16. He says in Galatians 5, 16, This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Galatians were trying to follow Old Testament Jewish rituals. And Paul's telling them, you're never going to overcome all of your sinful habits by following a list of Old Testament rules. You might demonstrate a little willpower for a short while, but you're never going to have a victorious life trying to live by that. How do you get the victory? Walk in the Spirit. Guys, that's a big phrase. Walk in the Spirit covers a lot of stuff. When we talk about yielding to the Holy Spirit, being in submission, uh, working under His control, even when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, there is a command for us to be filled with the Spirit, but that happens on a day-to-day, even moment-to-moment basis. Say, Brother Mike, I'd love to know, how do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? If you've been saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Here's how you get filled with Him. It's not you getting more of the Spirit. It's the Spirit getting more of you. Lord, here's my hand. Whatever you want to do with this hand, it's yours. And now He has control of this hand. He's in the hand. Lord, here's my other hand. Here's my foot. Here's my mind. Here's my tongue. Everything, God, it's yours. And when He has control of the whole thing, now you are filled and He can move you as He sees fit. And when you do that on an ongoing basis, that is called walking in the Spirit. The problem is for some Christians, it's a once a month gig. It's a phase they go through. Okay, I'll take the Lord seriously now. It gets a little tough. They stop and five months later they try it again. That's not walking in the Spirit. We appreciate your effort, but if you want to walk in the Spirit and find victory, that thing has to be faithful. So he says in verse number 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So you want to overcome those sinful habits, get in Christ, yield to the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, what does that mean? You have received the Holy Ghost and He lives inside. He gave you life. If we live in the Spirit, let us 
also walk in the Spirit. Do you see there that living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit are not the same thing? Do you see it? You can be alive in the Spirit and not walk with Him. Caleb's my son. He is a living member of the Flick family. But if he does not fall in line with my rules at the house, we're not going to walk together very much. Does that make sense, everyone? He's always going to be my son, but that doesn't mean we always have close fellowship. We have to agree consistently in order to have that fellowship. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. You're alive in Him, but now you need to walk in the Spirit. So, all right, Brother Mike, I'm going to do my best. I, I feel the Holy Spirit within me. I feel Him touching my heart. I can see Him working in my life. But when we read the program of the Holy Spirit, where is this going to end up? How, how does this finish? Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and notice it doesn't say speaking in tongues. That does it. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is overt miracles. It doesn't say that. Here's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You become more patient. Sir, you don't lose your temper like you used to. You no longer cuss and scream at your wife every time you have a bad day. Madam, you're able to deal with the kids a little bit better and show them some peace and love and joy. Gentleness, goodness, faith. You're able to trust God more than you used to. Meekness, temperance. There's some more self-control. Against such there is no law. You see, the final product is God makes you so much like Christ that all of Christ's characteristics start to come out in your life on a consistent basis. And you're no longer the same. That's the end goal. What we've just read, verse 22 and 23, is a description of Jesus. So that's the end product. But, but, let me say this, it doesn't even end there. It, there's actually one more step to this, and then I'm closing on this thought. Moms and dads, do you ever get pictures from your children? Do they ever draw for you? I have an entire cupboard dedicated just to Amy's paintings <laughs> and pictures. I used to hang them on my wall, but I ran out of wall. <laughs> I, and then I love that. I love that. So we keep them in a special cupboard. I have pictures of me. Now, please pray for my wife and daughter. They're both very sick this morning and not here, so I can say this without embarrassing them. But have, you, have your children ever brought you a picture and, and you went, oh, that's very good. What is it? <laughs> and they seem offended. They seem offended and go... It's you, Daddy. <laughs> you. Wow. I am like seven different shades of ugly then because of that. <laughs> wow. I don't know what it is. As young kids, we're just one big ball with arms sticking out of, arms and legs sticking out. That's it. There's, no, there's never a neck. <laughs> I'm like a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> That is how I feel as I present myself to God now. I say, God, look, look, here's a picture I drew. I drew of myself. God, here's how I look. And God looks at it and says, oh, dear. Okay, I, I see what you're going for there. You're trying, 
but you're not quite there. I don't care how long you've been saved. There's always more work to be done. A real walk with the Holy Spirit never ends. Paul tells us to commune with the Holy Ghost. It's an ongoing conversation every day. Very pleasant. What a privilege. Lord, please walk with me today. Please speak to me today. Please, Lord, remind me today. I'm getting weak. I need to know that you love me. Lord, show me where I'm getting off track. Show me how I can help someone. Show me what I need to do, God. Oh, help me to fall deeper in love with Jesus today. Please, Lord, show me more about Him. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you see that awful picture and you think, man, I'm so far off. It doesn't matter how old you get, the picture is never going to be perfect until one day the trumpet sounds. And when the trumpet, you see, even when you die, we bury you, you still don't look just right. <laughs> Amen. You go to the grave, you are not completely conformed to the image of Christ even as we bury you. You still got issues. You're dead. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit's not done. The last thing on His program, the final product, is He raises you from the dead and He gives you a brand new, glorified, resurrected body without a sinful nature and now you have been completely conformed to the image of Christ from glory to glory and now you enter in to the presence of God and there's nothing hindering your fellowship you can enjoy his presence from that time forevermore I'm so glad we have the program of the Spirit I know how it ends I'm so glad I walked into Christ's classroom all those years ago and he handed me a program and said here's what you can expect here's what we're gonna do and here's where we're gonna end up so I want to ask you now are you in the right classroom? Have you been experiencing the real work of the Holy Spirit in your life? If not, get with the program. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's all stand. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? Heads bowed and eyes closed and will not take long. But I would like to invite some of you. Maybe you need to examine your heart this morning and see where you're at in this program. Have you received the promise of the Spirit? Have you trusted Christ by faith to be your Savior? Would you do that today? Listen, without Him, you're under the curse of the law. You've broken God's law and you will be punished. That's not what He wants. The Holy Spirit wants to live inside of you. Walk with you. Talk with you. Listen, miracles come and go. We're not against them. They're, they're great. They have a place. They're, they were necessary at points. 
We're talking today about what every born-again believer should expect from the Holy Spirit. He's not done with you, friend. He wants to show you more. He wants to take you deeper. He wants to change you. Let Him have His way. Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. So many people these days are confused about the Holy Spirit. They expect Him to work one way. That's what they've been told. And I fear that they're missing out on the real work, the long-term gradual work, the work that He told us about in, in the program. You see, today I'm not after immediate results. I understand that today's service is just one more step in a very long process. But make sure you take whatever step the Holy Spirit is leading you to take today. I'd like to pray and close the service. But is there anybody here that would say, Pastor, please pray for me. I, I've never been saved, but I'd like to be. Anybody, just, you can just put your hand up. You can put it right back down. I won't point you out. I won't embarrass you. I'll just pray for you. Anybody like that? Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. I appreciate your honesty. Amen. Christian, I won't ask you to raise your hand. But where are you in the program? We all need work done. I won't even ask. I know we all need that. I guess I could ask you today if you hear his voice, are you going to harden your heart? Or are you going to let him work? Lord, please work. Please, Father, please don't leave us to ourselves. Lord, I can only imagine how many times you've tried to speak to us and we weren't listening. We didn't pay attention. God, please speak again. Lord Jesus, as you knock at the door, we want to run and open it and say, please come in, welcome. Sup with us and us with you. Lord, I'm so thankful that you can do miracles. But Lord, I am also thankful for that daily inner witness. Thank you for speaking to me as one of your children. Help us, God. Help us today. Whatever you're saying to your people, help them to take that next step. And Lord, perchance someone here is lost, might today be the day that the Holy Spirit comes into them and they receive Christ as their Savior. Father, please bring us back tonight, ready to hear more. We want, we want to learn more, God. Please help us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.